want to get straight into the Word of God this morning. So if you have your Bible, come with me to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. In fact, actually, go to Genesis 1 verse 28 first. Go to 1 28 first, and then we'll go to Genesis 22. This morning, I want to speak to you on a, a series. I have seven points. I will not get through seven points this morning. I'll be lucky if I get through one this morning. But uh, I want to start a series called Awaken Blessing. Awaken Blessing. I just kind of feel like going after this thing a little bit. I just... I just, I don't know what it is, and, uh, you know, God plants you in a city. God plants you in a place, and we didn't really know too much about San Diego. God just said, go to San Diego, so we went and uh, kind of planted ourselves. But then, then there are certain things that are in the ground. There are certain things that are in the soil. There are certain things that are in the atmosphere. There are certain things that are in the culture and my job is, my name's Jürgen, which means farmer. And so my job is to kind of weed some stuff out, root some stuff out. God has kind of given me an assignment that, you know, transform the environment to a kingdom, a kingdom healthy, a kingdom enhanced, a kingdom embracing environment. And so you just need to understand that every now and again, I'm going to go after some stuff. And so today, I really want to go after some stuff. I want you to know beyond any, beyond any shadow of a doubt that God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed. So Genesis 1 verse 28, um, it says this. It says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Everyone say dominion. Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said in verse 29, See, I've given you every herb, and it, and it goes on and on. So, so here, Adam and Eve, they've done nothing. They haven't graduated from Harvard. They haven't graduated from Bible college. They, they haven't been water baptized. They haven't done anything. All they've done is they've just been created. They've just, they've just, been, they've just been born. They're just, they're, just, they're, just, they're just breathing, heart beating. That's all they've done, and God blessed them. God blessed them because His blessing is His intention towards your life. It was when we sin that we remove ourselves from blessing into a place of struggle, but God's intention has always been blessing. Can I just tell you the good news is that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to redeem us from under the curse, to bring us back into a place of blessing, to bring us back into a place of blessing. Now, now it's amazing. You would not think that you would have uh, debate or argue or ridicule or persecution when you begin to speak about blessing. But it's amazing how many folks want to live in a place of struggle, in a place where they are defeated, because it gives them not only an excuse of, of not advancing, but it also gives them a reason to abdicate any responsibility for looking after the poor, for looking after the lost, for, for, for missionary work and, and you know giving to missions. I remember sitting with a youth pastor many years ago in, in Australia, and he, he wanted to have a shot at me. And he said, listen, you know, I know you guys up there at C3 driving your new cars up there. He goes, I don't know how you can drive a new car when there are people starving in third world nations. He says, that's why I'm against the prosperity gospel. He says, I'm against the prosperity gospel because, you know, you're driving a new car while there are people starving in third world nations. And so, you know, it was kind of a stinging rebuke. Oh, and, you know, by the way, I was taking him for lunch and I was paying for lunch. So just, I'm trying to figure that one out. And so, 
So I said, well, you know, would tell me. He goes, I, in fact, he goes, I hate money altogether. I just wish that there was no money that, you know, that if I wanted some sausages, I could just mow the butcher's lawn. And in exchange for me mowing his lawn, he would give me some sausages. I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of the barter system. That's called, you know, social. Have you ever heard of an experiment called socialism? Yeah, failed every country that embraced it. But anyway, and, uh, and so, but he was just, and I said, you know, he goes, I just, I just want enough. Just, just enough. I said, enough for who? Enough for me. I said, you selfish little git. Here's the deal. Let me kind of give you some honest truth. The first honest truth was I used to drive a bomby car. I used to drive a car that had a big hole in it right next to the gas tank, this big. It was a rust hole. So what I did was I covered it with a quicksilver sticker. So you couldn't see the hole in there. When you accelerated, the car did not accelerate. You accelerated, the car did not accelerate for about maybe 15 to 20 seconds. Then all of a sudden, the car went, and there was just a big cloud of smoke. The smoke was so dark, kind of blue-gray, that birds would just fall out of the sky. Just poison from the carbon monoxide would just, cats would just, you know, heave over. People walking their dogs, the dogs would just keel over. It was horrible. I, I drove a bomby car. Now, this is going this is gonna, this is gonna shock you. While I drove a bomby car, it's gonna, there were still people starving in third world nations. This is going to sound crazy, but I honestly, I mean, can consider me a conspiracy kind of person, but I actually don't think it's got anything to do with the car I drive. That when I drove a bomby car, they were starving. When I drove a new car, they were starving. Maybe it's got nothing to do with the car I drive. But here's the deal. This is what I said to to this young man. I said, you know, here's what I'm hearing from you. I'm hearing from you. You do not want to prosper because you want to be like them. Let me tell you, when, when when a child goes to bed at night because he has no food in his stomach, and when a mother and father go to bed at night not knowing where their next meal is going to come from, how they're going to make it through the week, how they're going to survive, it doesn't comfort them to know that, well, at least their brothers and sisters in Christ in prosperous nations are also rejecting prosperity. That doesn't bring them any comfort. What does bring them comfort is to know that they've got brothers and sisters in a first world nation who are flourishing and prospering and they're not consuming all that prosperity on themselves but have devoted themselves to having missions so that we are looking after children, so we are digging wells, so we are sending missionary work, so that we are looking after orphanages, so that we are being a blessing. God wants you to pray. Prosper. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to increase. He's just hoping that you can get a bigger vision than just yourself. I know we live in the 21st century, and the 21st century, you go to any any of the uh, you know the motivational seminars, and they'll tell you they, they've st- they always steal Bible stuff and just kind of remove God. And so you'll hear about having a vision. You got to have a vision. You'll hear principles of vision, and and this is what vision is, and goal setting, and go after your dreams, and don't let, don't let anyone stand in the way of your dreams and all that kind of stuff. Can I just tell you, just fooey to all of that. Get a God vision for your life. Don't let anyone stand in the way of the God dream, but get a God dream for your life. Live for something more than just your own success and your own. Live for the God success. Live for well done, good and faithful servant. Get a vision that is bigger than your life. Can somebody say amen? 
Awesome. So I'd say all of that to get you to turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Everyone say, awaken. Blessing. Bump your neighbor and say, get ready to awaken blessing. Verse 1 of Genesis 22, it came to pass, now it came to pass after these things that God tested. Everyone say tested. The God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, Carey, sorry, go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. God came and He tested Abraham. In this life, you are living in either one of two places all the time, perpetually, continually. You are either living in a place of test or you're living in a place of trust. You're living in a place of test and you're living in a place of trust. God will test you and He doesn't test you to fail you. He tests you to promote you. For me to get a California driver's license, I had to do a test. Fortunately, I remember that in America, we drive on the right-hand side of the road. In Australia, in England, we drive on the left. We drive on the wrong side. But over here, we drive on the right side. The problem is my beautiful bride did incredibly well until the final turn back to the DMV. When, when the lady next to us said, ma'am, turn left, head back to the DMV, Leanne turns left to go back to the DMV and then is wondering why the cars are coming towards her. And she's thinking, why are these idiots on the wrong side of the road? And the instructor had her head down. She was probably just about to pass Leanne. And then Leanne says, why are these people on the wrong side of the road? And when the instructor looked up, she goes, ma'am! You're on that. And she had to grab the steering wheel and rip the steering wheel and get Leanne back onto the correct side of the road. And so suffice to say, for about three months on our fridge, we had Leanne's result with a big red circle with an F in it. And then it had the words, uh, instructor had to intervene, lady driving on wrong side of the road. And uh, she, there was a test, but she didn't pass the test. So she had to sit the test again. Come on, somebody. And so you need to understand that God doesn't test you to fail you. He tests you to promote you because he wants to trust you with more but God is not a fool God is not a fool he knows that to trust you with more he has to test you the test does two things number one it shows him what he already sees in your heart but it actually reveals to you what is in your heart so he comes to Abraham and says Abraham Abraham take now your son your only son Isaac whom you love and offer him to me as a burnt offering now God is specific God is specific. He doesn't just say, Abraham, Abraham, give your son. Because if he would have said that, Abraham doesn't have an only son. He has two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael, he doesn't really want to talk too much about Ishmael. Ishmael was kind of a bit of a mistake. Sarah, his wife, comes and says, I'm unable to produce children. I'm 70 years of age. Why don't you go into my servant, Hagar, and see if God will produce children for you that way? Abraham doesn't argue. <laughs> Ladies, men are stupid. And so, so Abraham goes in, and so Ishmael is produced, and God says, what are you doing? That's not, that's not how this is. I've got a son for you that's going to come out of Sarah's womb, going to come out of your loins. It's, going to, it's supernatural. But now there's Ishmael. So, so God has to be specific. He says, I want you to give Isaac. I want, you, I want you to give what is precious. I don't want you to give what you can live without. 
Because if Abraham had a choice, give now one of your sons as an offering, he would have said, Ishmael, Ishi, come here, mate. Oh, look at you, skillet, little skellyway. Come on here, mate. How old are you now? 25. 25. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it feel, feels like a lifetime, doesn't it, hey? Feels like we've lived 100 years, really, when you think about it. Some of the stuff we've done. and Oh, man. Anyway, here the Lord's asked for you. Asked for you by name. Burnt offering. Oh, the, oh, I'm not sure what he wants. You know, but anyway, you just got to be obedient. Ishmael would have gone. But God's not asking for Ishmael. God's not asking him, hey, can you give what you can do without? Can you give what you don't really need? He says, I want you to take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I want you to give what is most precious and most valuable to you. Because let me tell you, what you can't give, you don't have. But what are you talking about? What you can't give, you actually don't have. It has you. What, what you can't give, you don't have. It, it has you. That's why you can't give it. The, the, the way to break greed, the way to break that, that spirit of mammon off your life is through giving. That's why every, church, every week at church, we unapologetically will kind of encourage and create an environment in your life of giving. Giving is God's way. For God so loved the world, He gave. When God was in a crisis, when God was in a deficit, when God was up against the wall, what did He do? He gave. He gave His way out of it. I found that giving is God's way. God blesses giving. So He says to, to Abraham, go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and split the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, verse 5, Stay here with the young donkey. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Oh, powerful. If you're going to underline a verse, underline verse 5. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I are going to go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Abraham has a revelation. God has asked him, sacrifice your son. God has asked him, give. But Abraham does not see giving as loss. God says, well, I'm going to, we're going to go yonder and worship, says Abraham. We're going to go yonder and worship. And the lad and I, who I'm going to offer to God, we will come back to you. Abraham knows that that which he gives to the Lord always comes back. I said, Abraham knows that which he gives to the Lord always comes back. What you withhold from the Lord, you will lose. What you give to the Lord will come back. I'm telling you, everything I've given to the Lord, my children, my wife, my family, everything that I've given to the Lord has come back. When, when, I, wanted to, when I wanted to hold, you know what, God, you can have all of this in my life, but the relationship, the, it was a mess. As soon as I said, you know what, God, you know, I'm just going to trust you to bring me, the wife I married so far out of my league, it is not even funny. I tell people before I met Pastor Leanne, I used to double tithe. That's how I got Leanne. How did Leanne get stuck with me? She never tied the nickel in her life. And uh, every area where I've trusted God, every area where I've given over to God, I find that God brings back. It's not, it's not about the issue. It's about your heart. God wants to know, can He trust you? Can He trust you? Let me test you. And when you pass the test, He will trust you with more. The, 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 the pathway, the, the, the step to getting more, the step to going to the next level is show God that you can be trusted where you're at. That's why the tithe is so important because God wants to take you. He doesn't want you eking your way through life, struggling your way through life, battling your
pulling your way through life. He wants to increase you. He's looking. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for him whose heart is loyal, that on that person's behalf, God might show himself strong. It's not about the money. It's not. It's about your heart. God wants to test you so he can trust you. He wants to test you so he can trust you. So Abraham understands. He has a revelation. He says, the lad and I will come back and we'll come, we'll come back to, to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. And they took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. Isaac spoke to his father, verse 7, and said, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire, the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, so powerful. Abraham prophesies. Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two, I, I wonder if Abraham had any idea what was coming out of his mouth. I wonder if Abraham had any idea when he's looking at his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves. I wonder if he had any idea that he was prophesying about the day when God would give his only begotten son, that God would give his only son whom he loves into the earth to provide a lamb for the burnt offering. God himself will provide a lamb. My God, I'm telling you, when you are in submission, when you are walking in alignment with God, you will find your words carry weight. Your words begin to echo through the chambers of eternity. They begin to set God wheels in motion. Things begin to align up. Things begin to shift. Things begin to change in your life. And so so, uh, verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the wood. Verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Everyone say trust. He's gone from test to trust. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of Isaac, his son. The, 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 um, the, this passage is so rich. It is so rich because you and I are Isaac, deserving death for our sins, but there's a substitute that God made on the cross. There was a ram caught in the thickets. There was a ram, there was a male ram who was caught in the thickets, in the thorns, the, the curse of the world that, he, that God, had, God had set before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the lamb slain and Jesus hung and died on the cross in your place and in my place so that we could actually go free so that he became a curse so that the blessing could come to us. Because watch what happens. Then Abraham, uh, called the name of that place the Lord will provide or literally Jehovah Jireh the Lord who sees and in seeing provides it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided so all, all of a sudden they began to prophesy about a day that was coming verse 15 then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said by myself I have sworn says the Lord because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son your only son blessing I will bless you multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants and shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Everyone say, because. Can I tell you, I am a because Christian. If you want to know what, what my theology is, you know, Pastor, where's your theological stance? 
Calvinism, predeterminism. Where, 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 where do you stand, Pastor? I'm a because Christian. I'm a, I'm a because Christian. All the way through the Bible, I see God does stuff because. He, he does stuff. God, God, is, God, is a, God is a God that, that moves in response. I know that, you know, it's not popular theology. But let me tell you, I, I don't care what men have framed. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, I'm tossing out what men have framed. And I'm going to go with the Word of God. I'm going to go with what the Bible says. And, and, and the Bible teaches that, that, that God is a responsive God. God is a response. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you, says the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek, God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So, so God is saying, you move and then I'll move. You move, then I'll move. God, God is saying to Abraham, because you were willing to do this thing, you have opened something over your life. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, the sand on the seashore, and your seed will possess the gate of their enemies. Something was unlocked today, Abraham, because you passed a test. Now I can trust you with great blessing. So let me just go to point number Number one, point number one is that uh, is the test of submission. It's the test of submission. Everyone say submission. It's not a popular word. We hate that word. In fact, you know, most uh, women's liberationists are anti that word submission. It's such a horrible word. But can I just tell you, husbands, if you have an issue with your wife being submissive, it's, it's actually less to do with her. Maybe it has more to do with you. Because if you have a mission for your life, if you have a mission for your marriage, if you have a mission for your family, if you have a mission that has a God-filled mission that blesses her, that nourishes her, that builds her up, that cherishes her, that values her, that esteems her, that develops her, you'll find you'll never have any problem having her in submission. In my early years of marriage, my wife, I thought she was so insubordinate. Then I realized I had too small a mission. My mission was all about me and there was nothing about her as soon as I began to increase my mission that with it included Leanne that included her development that believed in Leanne I found that I had no problem with her coming into sub sub means under the mission when I when when you have a mission for your marriage when you have a mission to be a provider to be a protector to be a nurturer to be an encourager to be a builder to be a leader you'll find you'll have no problem with your wife coming under submission because you have a mission but if you're just sitting around all day, just kind of flicking through the through the TV, and you got no, you're aimless, you're jobless, you're, you know, well then then don't don't expect her to be excited about coming. You don't have, you ain't got no mission. I know I'm probably going to get beat up in the foyer on the way out. Thanks, Pastor. You know, and but I'm, I got to tell you the truth. Got to tell you the truth. Submission. Can you submit? Can you submit to God? Submission is tested in an environment of inconvenience. Submission is tested in an environment of inconvenience. Anyone, anyone can submit when they agree. It's when you don't agree. It's when it's inconvenient. This was not a convenient thing. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mountains of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. I don't even know if Abraham could even discuss that with his wife. Abraham, where are you going, love? Um, camping. The lad and I are going... Camping. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he, I couldn't have. 
You ain't just, you know, there'd be a fight and there. God's told me, if God told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? I mean, it'd just be a big, you know, and uh, I mean, it'd be, anyway, and so I, I don't know, I don't know. But Abraham, it's not about convenience. He, he, he steps out. See, I honestly believe that God's litmus test is, is he tests us to see how much of us he has. The level of submission shows your level of devotion. Your level of submission shows your level of devotion. Now, we live in the 21st century where it's all about independent. It's all about being independent. I did it my way. It's, it's independent. It's all about me. And you know what? If, if this doesn't, then I'm going here and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. The devil loves mavericks, just so you know. He, he wants you to be a maverick. I'm maverick and this is my Iceman. Ah! to the danger zone he wants you to be a maverick because a maverick is easily squashed by the devil let, let me explain how that works James 4 7 says submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you the devil knows if he can just get you to abdicate that first one submit to God become a maverick be your own man be your own person Come on, live independently. You're a maverick with an ice man. Wow. You can resist all you like. There's no fleeing from the devil because you neglected, you abdicated submission. Submission is powerful. Submission means that you come under. Jesus comes to a centurion and, the, and Jesus says, I, I hear your, your, your servant is, I'll come to your house and heal him. He says, whoa. He goes, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Just, but I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. To this one, come, and he comes. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus marveled. He said, not in all Israel have I seen such great faith. Your servant has, is healed. And so immediately his servant was made well. Jesus understood that this guy understood something about kingdom dynamics, that, that authority and power flows in submission. Now, submission is powerful. Submission isn't always convenient, but it is powerful. And God will test you. The first test of blessing is can you be submissive? Can you come under? Can you take authority? Can you take orders? Can you, can you submit to a leader? Can you submit to leadership? Can you submit to authority? Can people tell you things that you don't want to hear in your ear? Are you accountable in your life if somebody is speaking to you about something that you've got to have, see when you're in submission you are in safety why because you're undercover you you come under a covering and under that covering there is protection in that environment is, is there someone in your life who can tell you what you don't want to hear King David said let the righteous strike me it shall be a kindness let my head not refuse it it is like the precious anointing oil is there somebody in your life that, that you've submitted to. Can I just tell you the reason there is leadership in the church, the reason it's not just a flat line, but there is leadership in the church, it's for our development. It is for our development. My safety, my security, my future is dependent upon the level of submission. The, the, the way that I've submitted myself to my oversight and my leaders so that I have, I'm an open book that they can speak into my life. Because the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Submission is strength, not weakness. But in the 21st century, the devil has made submission to look like weakness. He's made submission to look like somehow, you know, you're cowering or you're, you know, you're pandering. But I'm telling you, submission is strength. Can somebody say amen? amen. See, I remember, uh, you know, when, when we're living in New Zealand, they weren't easy years for us. But they were testing years because I was a, 
you know, I was a surfer that got saved and I, I was so jacked up. And I came from a fairly dysfunctional home where my father ran away from, from his father when he was 14 years of age. And, and you know, then was in the, uh, you know, the East German army, was part of the Stasi. And then, you know, ran away from there, ran across the minefield, went over the wall from East Berlin to West Berlin. And then, you know, met, met my mother buying shoes. And so there's a level of rebellion in him that I found was easily picked up and embraced by me. Rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. So God has to put me in an environment that I believe was hostile. It was a hostile environment. Every week, uh, I just found that there was, a, there was all kinds of insecurities. And, and you find that you'll never serve a perfect man or woman. I know John and Becky are probably the closest thing, but that's uh, apart from them. Everybody else, just you know, a couple of steps below, perfect. But, but you'll never find a perfect man or a perfect woman. And God knows there's no perfect man. He's not asking you, can you submit because you're in perfect leadership. He's not asking you, can you submit because you agree with every decision. He's testing to see whether you can submit even when you disagree, even when that bore, even when that seems cruel, even when that seems unfair, even when there is a season of injustice. Joseph is a 17-year-old, spoiled, snotty-nosed little tattletale brat. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Pastor? Okay. Uh, Joseph is a spoiled, snotty-nosed, 17-year-old little because Because the Bible says all the brothers were out. He's 17, and all the brothers were out in the field working, and he brings back a negative report from, from their dad. Dad, they were taking breaks. While I was out there in my, my robe of many colors, <laughs> they, they stopped working. And he brings back a negative report. So the father rebuked, and they hated Joseph. He was a 17-year-old brat, but he did have dreams. He did have God dreams. But for him to become the man that could fill the enormity of those dreams, God had to take him through a process. God had to take him from a spoiled, privileged, entitled little brat, and he gets thrown into a, into a pit. From the pit, he gets put in chains. From chains, he gets taken down to Egypt. In Egypt, he's up on the docks. He's sold as a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's the chief executioner for Pharaoh. He's in, in Potiphar's house. Then there's false accusations. He's thrown into a prison for a crime he does not commit. And every single moment, at every single juncture, the test comes to, to, to Joseph. The test comes again and again. In fact, if you read Psalm 105, it says that the word of the Lord tests him until the word, until the dream, until the promise came to pass. The word of the Lord tested. It tested Joseph. What was the test? The test of submission. Can you continue to submit to God? Can you still give glory to God? And the Bible says that even in the prison, the prison keeper put Joseph in charge of all things because Joseph was loyal. Joseph was, was faithful. Joseph the Lord was with him and he served the prison keeper. He wasn't even meant to be in the prison. Instead of getting a negative attitude and a bad attitude, I'm not meant to be here. It's a false accusation. I'm in. I'm Instead of all of that, he submits to the process, understanding that if he submits, that elevation is coming. Now, let me just explain something to you why submission is so powerful. Submission is so powerful that the world around you prophesies. It is prophesying to you the power of submission. If the devil was as smart as he makes out. If the devil was as smart as he likes to believe he is, he would have never crucified Jesus Christ. He would have never crucified Jesus Christ, but he was so blinded by his hostility, his hatred towards Jesus, that he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait to crucify. And I'm telling you, not just crucify, but make the Son of God suffer on the cross. He was so blinded by his hatred. But if he was as smart as he makes out he is, he would have never have done that because, because every single plant 
plant in the Garden of Eden, every single plant in your garden, every single tree, every single flower right around the world has been prophesying and he missed it. He didn't see that, that what happens is John 12, 24, unless a grain of wheat, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it will produce much fruit. Jesus is giving us a botany lesson. See, Jesus is the Word of God, is the seed of heaven. And, and th that seed, while it is alive, is a single seed. But if that seed falls to the ground and dies, it'll produce much fruit. The devil thought he was killing the seed, but he, all he was doing was in, in, enhancing, all he was doing was hastening the process because Jesus, the seed of heaven, when he died on the cross, when he died on the cross, they took that seed and they put it into the soil of the earth. They put it into a tomb. They put it into Joseph of Arimathea. They put it into his tomb. But you, when, when you put a seed in the soil, guess what happens? It Regeneration happens. On the third day, poof, this thing sprouts. And today there are billions and billions of sons and daughters of God. It bore much fruit because of the process. Jesus submitted himself to death. He submitted himself to the process. The Bible says in Philippians 2, because Jesus submitted himself. It says that even though he was equal with God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the very form of man, submitting himself to death, yes, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Joseph went through horrendous injustice. But in that injustice, he remained faithful. In that injustice, he submitted himself to the, to the process. So Joseph is elevated from the prison. Why? Because he is in submission. He is in submission. When you are in submission, elevation is coming because it's not about what men can do. It's about what God deems. It's about what God says. God promotes. The Bible says promotion does not come from men. Promotion does not come from the east or the west. Promotion is of the Lord, is what the Scripture says. And because of Joseph's Submission. The Bible says that he gets rescued out of the prison and he's seated at the right hand of Pharaoh interpreting dreams, the dreams of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has a chariot that rides in front of Joseph's chariot and the man in the chariot in front of Joseph's chariot, his job assignment is to tell all the people as they ride through the streets, bow the knee, bow the knee. And all the people in the streets bow as an Israelite comes through Egypt. Why? Because Joseph was in submission. He goes from a 17-year-old little spoiled tattletale entitled brat to the most powerful man in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh because of his submission. When we were in New Zealand, God put us, God tested us because he was developing. He's saying, Jürgen, I have a vision for you, but I don't know whether I can trust you. You're reckless. You're rebellion. You're wild. There's a wildness in you that I have to tame. So I'm going to put you in an environment that is hostile. I'm going to put you in an environment that is unfair. I'm going to put you in an environment of injustice. The, 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 leadership, the leadership wasn't great leadership. The pastor's wife tried everything to destroy us continually. And I would just bless. I learned how to bless when, when I'm cursed. And I learned how to, 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 to give praise when I was reviled. And, and it just infuriated. So, so what she did was she went after my Leanne. She went after my, my Leanne. And we were there one Sunday and there was a, a guest preacher from California. And he was preaching. And uh, at the end of the service, quite often as we were with associate pastors, 
quite often we would go out with a guest speaker. That's the, kind of the tradition. You take the guest speaker for lunch at a restaurant and kind of sit around. And, and, uh, but the pastor's wife reveled this day because Pastor Leanne had to sit next to her and then uh, another senior pastor's wife was, was sitting there. And so this senior pastor leaned across Leanne so that Leanne could hear it and said to this pastor's wife, hey, do you want to come out to lunch? We're going to have some of our key people come out to lunch with this pastor. And said, and then looked at Leanne so that Leanne could see that she wasn't invited and then just sat up and just kept going. So Leanne was, you know, we, we, we're out six nights a week. We work 60, 80 hours a week, paid peanuts. And he was just, it was just, she did it on purpose, so spiteful. It was just typical. So I said to Leanne, you know what? Blow the budget. I'm taking you for lunch. You pick a restaurant. Pick the best restaurant in, in Manukau. So we went to Denny's. <laughs> it wasn't Denny's. It was some flippin' homestyle buffet. It, was, it wasn't very good. Manukau doesn't have great restaurants. It's not known for its international cuisine. Manukau City. And uh, so, so we end up at this restaurant and we turn around and, oh my gosh, this party walks in. And so I'm like, Leanne, you know what? Just, just don't let it bother you. Let's just enjoy our meal and let's just believe God for the, for the money to come. We literally lived hand to mouth. And we went home and Leanne felt, you know, she just felt that this was just too much. This was unfair. We had an evening service at 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock. We had to be there as, as pastors for the prayer meeting. I remember just looking, saying, God, you know what? I'm done. That's it. I'm done. They don't deserve my loyalty. They don't deserve. I'm out six nights a week. I was in charge of the Bible college. I was in charge of the cafe. I was, I was in charge of the youth ministry, the young adults ministry. I was in charge of junior high ministry high school ministry. I was the number two worship leader. I was in charge of building maintenance. I was in charge of ushers, deacons, security. Uh, I was the associate pastor, had no cell phone, had no computer, no secretary. And my senior pastor wanted to put me in a shipping container out the back to make more room for another worship pastor he just hired. And so I'm just thinking, yeah, you know what? I'm just done with this. And I said to God, they don't deserve, they don't deserve it. So we're in the worship. And I'm struggling to worship because my heart is heavy. And so I said to God, they don't deserve, they don't deserve my Lord. Look at them up there lifting their hands and laughing and patting the guest speaker from California on the back. They don't deserve my loyalty. They don't deserve my faithfulness. And I kind of felt like, you know, I'd put that before the Lord and the Lord was going to go, wow, yes, you're right, Jurgen. That's true. I don't even know how you got in this situation. You know what? I was actually distracted with China. And I just... That's what I was, that's kind of what the, you know, that was what I was expecting. But how many people know that God knows all things? And, it's, and right in the midst of my, my little entitlement spiel, what I felt that I was entitled to, I see this picture, and this is before Mel Gibson, you know, the passion. I saw this picture, just a flash, just a moment like that. I saw Christ on the cross. I saw the crown of thorns on his head, and it was, I just kind of saw his, his face. I've never seen this before. I saw the blood from the, from the crown going into his eyes. I saw all his eyes, the, the eye sockets filled with blood. I saw it down in his mouth, in the corner of his mouth, dripping out here all on his beard. I saw pieces of his beard missing, his nose all swollen from the beating, his eye puffed up, half closed on this side. And I was like, whoa, what is that? And then God spoke to me. And he said, I'm not asking you to be faithful to them because they deserve it. I'm asking you to be faithful to them because I deserve it. 
in the midst, in the middle of the, the worship, I had my own altar call. I stepped out into the aisle and I walked up and, you know, the worship leader's got his acoustic guitar and he's praying. He's like, look, what are you doing? And I said, just keep going. And so I just, I remember just kneeling on the ground. I said, my God, forgive me. Forgive me for being such a wuss. If this is where you've called me to be, and even if they beat me with rods as I walk in the front door every week, if this is where you've called me to be, here I am. Jesus was pierced. He was beaten. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was rejected. He was spat on. He was mocked. He was scourged to rescue me and I can't put up with a little bit of injustice. I said, God, even if they beat me with rods, here I am. If this is where you want me to be, here I am. What was amazing was I went back to my seat. The guest speaker gets up. When the guest speaker got up, he says, you know, I don't normally do this. He says, but there was a young man that came out and knelt in the worship. Where are you? And I said, oh, yes, you come out here. And he looks at the, my senior pastor again. He goes, I don't normally do this. He says, but God told me to tell you, he is well pleased with your faithfulness. And then he said this, he says, and the time is coming when God is going to take you from this place and you're going to pastor a move of God that is going to go worldwide. See, what God is looking for is the test of submission. Can you submit? Can you submit when it's inconvenient? Can you submit when it's difficult? Can you submit when it's unjust? Can you submit when it's painful? Can you submit when you don't want to hear what you're hearing? God, it's, it's not about how right they are. It's about you. And God will quite often take you through seasons of injustice to get you to submit so that he can promote you to the next level. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your presence and your power in this place. Father, we know that the devil lost everything when he lost his submission. The devil is the, he is the poster child for what rebellion, for what maverick will do. How's it working out for you, Lucy? Not too good. He's the poster child. Hey, don't submit to God. Don't stay in submission. Use your gift, talent, ability. You can have your own kingdom. You can have your own. It's not working out too well for him. But Jesus comes and he submits to the Father. Submits, submits, submits. Even while they beat him, he submits. Even while they scourge him, they pierce him. They nail him to a cross and he stays submitted. Now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Worship for all eternity. I've got to tell you, powerful things happen when you submit. We live in an age <clears throat> where we champion independence. We champion go your own way. But I'm telling you, God is looking for people today who'll say, I submit, I submit. Really, that's what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is somebody who submits themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I'm married to the most beautiful woman on planet Earth, but I would have ruined it. I would have ruined it again and again if I lived for myself. But because I made Jesus Lord, 
there's one final voice. There's a, uh, there's a voice like a firewall in between me and ruin, in between me and disaster. It's called the Lordship of you. You need a voice in your life that tells you no when everything on the inside of you is screaming yes, that tells you submit when everything on the inside of you is screaming rebel, that, that, that tells you surrender when you want to run, that you need, a, vo- you need a, a Lord in your life. You need Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you once walked with Christ, but you're away from Him. You need to come back. Or maybe you're here today and you're just far from God. Friend, life's too short to live far from God. Or maybe you're here and and you've just kind of walked away from God. You've bought into the, the 21st century culture of being a maverick, living life, doing life your own way. Well, today you know that God is speaking to you that you need to come back to Him. You need to make Him first. You need to make Him first. So if that's you, if you're one of the three categories of people, as we close this service, would you allow me the privilege of being able to pray for you. If that's you, would you quickly just raise your hand?